You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's sermon is preached by Pastor Brian Wolfmuller. In the name of Jesus, amen. In the Garden of Eden, dear saints, Adam and Eve were handed over to a sorrow that led to death. So God says to the woman, you will have sorrow in conception. And he says to Adam, you will have sorrow as you scrape the ground to bring forth life from it until you go back to the ground. For dust you are, and to dust you shall return. Sorrow unto death, passed down from Adam to all of his children, but now here the second Adam is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he also says, My soul is sorrowful, even to death. That's our consideration tonight with the Passion reading, the time of Jesus in the garden, his affliction and his prayer, especially, which we'll consider. But we want to put it in the context. The disciples have just been fed the body and blood of Jesus. He's washed their feet. They've sung a hymn, and they've left the upper room, which was in the the, um, city of Jerusalem, and come down through the Kidron Valley, and halfway up the Mount of Olives that's opposite of the Kidron Valley to the Garden of Gethsemane, a place where Jesus would often come outside the city to pray. And at this time, Judas slips away to go and do his betraying work and find the soldiers who would come and arrest Jesus while Jesus and the other eleven go into the garden. And he takes three aside with him, Peter, James, and John, and goes further on. And then he leaves them there to pray, and Jesus goes a stone's throw from them. And he kneels down and he prays three times. Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. And he goes back to his disciples and he finds them sleeping and he wakes them up and he says, could you not watch with me for just one hour? The Spirit's willing, the flesh is weak. And he goes back and kneels down and prays a second time with great agony, cries of, uh, and tears. Such was his distress that he, in fact, the text says, was sweating great drops of blood, the first blood of the passion spilt. And he comes back a second time and finds the disciples sleeping. This time he leaves them asleep and goes back and prays a third time, Father, if it's possible, let the cup pass from me, but not my will, but thy will be done. And then he comes back after this third prayer and wakes the disciples and says, It's time. The Son of Man is betrayed. And here comes Judas leading the soldiers of the Sanhedrin. And he had agreed with them with the sign that whoever he kissed is the one that they should arrest. And so he goes up to Jesus and greets him and says, Rabbi, and kisses him. And Jesus says, Do you betray me with a kiss? And Jesus turns to the soldiers. Who do you seek? It's uh, We seek Jesus of Nazareth. And he says, I am. And they fall over backwards. And he says, Why do you come to seek me? I taught in the open in the temple. Who do you seek? Again, Jesus of Nazareth. I'm the one. Let these go. And all the disciples run away and they bind Jesus and they lead Him to the house of the high priest where He would go undergo His first of five trials that night. That's for next week. Tonight we consider this incident in the garden. And I'd like to consider it, especially to consider Jesus' prayer under three uh, topics. Three sections. The first is that Jesus teaches us how to pray, and particularly He teaches us how to pray, Thy will be done. Secondly, 
we consider the content of Jesus' prayer, especially in this, that Jesus prays, if it's possible, let the cup pass from me. What does that mean? And then third, we consider the comfort that comes from the answer that God has for that prayer of Jesus. But first this, the third petition of the Lord's Prayer. Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And Jesus shows us what this prayer means. When we pray, Thy will be done, we are praying against all of the other wills in the world that don't want God's will to be done. The will of the world, the will of the devil. We're fighting against these two things in that petition. But especially we're praying against the will of our own sinful flesh. In other words, when we pray, Thy will be done, we're saying to the Lord, Not my will. We want not what we want. We want what you want. And when we pray, Thy will be done, we're putting all of our own desires, all of our hopes and dreams, all of the things that we want, we're putting them to death. We're saying these things that we want and desire, these things don't matter. What matters is what God wants and what God desires. Dear saints, Jesus did not want the cross. He he did not want what was coming. Hebrews 12, remember, says that he despised, he endured the cross, despising the shame. But it's set down at the right hand of God the Father. Jesus didn't want to have his beard ripped out. He didn't want to be spat upon. He didn't want to be stripped and hung on the cross to suffer. He didn't want to have God turn his face from him. He didn't want that. He didn't desire it. But he prays, not my will, but your will be done. He hands himself over to the will of God if it's what he wants or if it's what he doesn't. And in this, your Jesus is your example. Every time you pray, thy will be done, you're putting your own will and your own desire to death. It's dying there in the garden with Jesus. And you're saying the will that matters is the will of my heavenly Father. And that, by the way, is good. Because while the will of God might be that you would suffer for a little while in this world, you would gain some things and you would lose some things the Lord might give and the Lord might take away. The Lord's good and gracious will is that you would be with Him forever. When we pray, Thy will be done, we have the confidence of knowing what His will is. His will is the death of Jesus for you. His will is the forgiveness of your sins. His will is your salvation. And in this we rejoice. So that's the first thing. Jesus teaches us to pray, Thy will be done. The second point is this. Jesus prays here, and this is a mysterious prayer. We found it this morning that in the 13 mysteries listed in the litany, this is one of them. The mystery of the Lord's agony and bloody sweat. And there is a great mystery in this prayer because Jesus prays 
if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. And it seems as if Jesus doesn't know if it's possible or not. And I'd like to suggest to you that that is true. Jesus, at this point, when he is praying, does not know that his death is the only way to save sinners. Now, how could that possibly be? We remember that Jesus is the eternal Son of God, that he was begotten of the Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, being of one substance with God. But that at the Annunciation, at the at the, uh, at the conception of Jesus in the womb of the Virgin Mary, he goes from having one nature, the divine nature, to in fact having two natures, a divine nature and a human nature, united in the single person of Christ. Like the confirmands, you confirmands are learning to confess, right? That I believe that Jesus Christ is true God, begotten of the Father before all worlds, and also true man, born of the Virgin Mary, who is my Lord. So Jesus has two natures, begotten of the Father and born of the Virgin Mary. And those, the, the attributes of those two natures are communicated to the person of Christ, but not in a static way. So, for example, sometimes the divine attributes that belong to Jesus are not in every way in all times seen. Sometimes they're seen more than other times. For example, when Jesus is walking on the road, he looks just like a man. But when he's walking on water, things are quite different. And we realize, oh, something special is going on here. When Jesus was on the Mount of Transfiguration, he looked different than he looked any other time, that the divine nature was radiating through his flesh. Sometimes he performed miracles. But other times, those divine attributes were were not manifest. The word we use is they were hidden from him. So, for example, Jesus was hungry. Jesus was sleepy. Jesus suffered. There's even things that Jesus didn't know. Remember when he was asked about when the second coming was? And Jesus says, uh, the angels don't know this, not even the Son of Man, but only the Father who's in heaven. So that Jesus can hide information from himself that he has according to his divine nature that doesn't for this humiliation, reach his person. Now, that's all of a complicated way of saying that Jesus is able to truly suffer as a man. That Jesus is able to hide from himself the purpose of his suffering. And we see this in two instances. The first and the most intense, we'll consider in a few weeks, is when Jesus is on the cross and he says, remember, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why? He doesn't know. He knows that he hasn't done anything wrong. He knows that God has been merciful to all the fathers in the past. And yet here on the cross, he's suffering the wrath of God and he doesn't know why. He doesn't have the comfort of knowing that his suffering is for your salvation, that his comforting, that his suffering will end soon. And here in the garden, the same thing is true. The knowledge that this death that this suffering that is being handed over to his enemies to endure all of this thing, the comfort of knowing that that is for you and for your salvation is taken away from Jesus. So he prays in great agony, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. If there's any other way, let's go that way. If we can accomplish what we want to accomplish by any other means, by all means, let's do it. You see, Jesus doesn't even know it. And so he prays with great distress. Now this is very practical. It's kind of strangely practical. Uh, in fact, it came up just this week that I was visiting with someone in the hospital who was kind of great agony and suffering and distress and all this sort of thing. And, 
And I said, well, you know, your Jesus also suffered. And he says, well, did he really? And I said, yeah, he really suffered. And he says, but yeah, when Jesus was suffering, he knew that in three days he would be raised from the dead. He knew that after a little while, his suffering would be over. He knew that he was there to to please God and win the salvation of the world. He knew these things, so his suffering couldn't have been that bad. And I asked the man, did he? Did Jesus know that? It sounds to me like Jesus says, my God, my God, why? Why is this happening? It sounds to me that during Jesus' agony and bloody sweat, He says, if it's possible, let the cup pass from me so that the suffering of Jesus is full for you. Full, complete. There's not a single bit of agony that He did not taste like Isaiah preached. He drank the cup of the wrath of God to the very dregs. He drained it to the last drop. Any comfort was taken from Him. And and this leads to the third point, that as Jesus is completely bereft of comfort, it means that we are completely full of comfort. And it's especially in this, that God the Father answers this prayer of His Son. If it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Jesus is saying, if there's any other way to do this, if there's any other way to manage uh, the salvation of humanity, let's do that. And God the Father gives the answer to you. There is no other way. If there, if there was another way, he would have answered the prayer of Jesus and provided for that way. But there is no other way. There is no other name given under heaven and earth by which we must be saved other than the name Jesus. He is, remember, the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but, but by him. So we have this absolutely clear for us. Is there another way to heaven? Is there another way to life? Is there another way to attain the forgiveness of sins? Is there another way to be considered righteous on the judgment day? If there was, then Jesus would not have died. But Christ has died. And that means that He is the way for you to life. God answers the prayer of His Son and He says, this is the road you must walk. This is the way you must take. Hand yourself over to your enemies. Like Jesus says in the Gospel of Mark, now is the hour of darkness. Now is your hour. Hand yourself over to your enemies. Hand yourself over to the devil. Hand yourself over to the beating, the scourging, the whip, the nails. The crown, the spears, hand yourself over to the darkness, the being lifted up for all the world to see, the shame and the pain and the suffering of the cross. Hand yourself over to bearing the sins of the world and suffering the wrath of God in place of sinners because this is the only way and Jesus does it. Not His will, but the will of God for you, for your salvation, for the forgiveness of sins and life and peace. So we rejoice that there is a way to the Father. We rejoice 
that there is salvation. We rejoice that the door of heaven has been pried open by the suffering and death of Christ for you. For in the garden, he prayed, not my will, but thy will be done. And God's will is done on earth as it is in heaven. Amen. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, guard your hearts and minds through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope.